Welcome to a special edition of the Green Tech Media Podcast. I'm Scott Clavenna, CEO of Green Tech Media, and this is our Solar Summit 2014 preview series. Our seventh annual Solar Summit is taking place April 14th through the 16th at the Wigwam Resort in Phoenix, Arizona. And as usual, we're bringing together our analysts and editors with a cross-section of the global solar industry, from manufacturers to developers, financiers, policymakers, and utilities. We'll be sharing our market data, presiding over important debates and discussions around the critical issues facing the solar market this year, which includes PV module costs and technologies, innovations in inverters and the balance of systems, opportunities in Latin American solar market, and of course, our in-depth analysis of the U.S. solar market. In addition, and relevant to this podcast, we're hosting a pre-conference seminar on April 14th on the future of U.S. distributed solar project finance, where we'll spend the afternoon diving into the state of solar finance from traditional vehicles like tax equity and debt to emerging structures around solar storage financing, yield codes, solar securities, and new standards to unlock financing for rooftop solar. For today's podcast, we're talking with members of the True Solar Working Group. It's an expanding group of solar market participants working to establish uniform credit screening standards for commercial and industrial PV projects to help drive down the cost of capital for those projects. On the call with me today are Chase Ware, CEO of Distributed Sun, Evelyn Butler, Global Director, Business Development, Energy and Industrial Systems at Underwriters Laboratories, and Jamie Mandel, Manager, Industry and Electricity at the Rocky Mountain Institute. Chase, let's start with you first. How about step back a bit, give us a quick overview of the mission of True Solar, and then a preview of the session you'll be involved in at the Solar Summit. It's called CNI Project Screening Methodologies, How to Accurately Price Risk to Unlock Financing. Okay, Chase. Uh, thank you, Scott. And first, uh, on behalf of the True Solar Working Group, I just want to say that we're delighted uh, and excited to be sponsors of, uh, of this uh, year's summit. Um, and look forward to engaging uh, in a, a, an audience there in the uh, pre-conference workshop, The Future of U.S. Distributed Solar Project Finance. The working group includes publicly traded companies and market share leaders throughout the value chain, uh, including uh, folks like DuPont. It's all the way down to O&M providers like uh, uh, publicly traded company ABM. Um, and then, of course, our friends uh, here with us today, thought leaders, with certain specialities around risk and execution of True Solar, like Underwriters Laboratory, uh, about products and, and risks associated with them, and the Rocky Mountain Institute, helping us to uh, navigate from a working group structure uh, to standing up an accreditation body. I think we're entering a phase. We're in what we call the beta phase, but we're entering the next stage where we 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 expect everybody in the industry to be involved. This is. At its at its core, we're creating a public good uh, to help uh, reduce transaction costs uh, and other soft costs. People understand what we're doing through a variety of uh, analogs. Some make reference to the FICO score of solar or Kelly Blue Book. As an industry initiative, we're not unlike the CDMA effort in mobility to bring together a, a core group of people to do some really hard work for a couple of years and and then turn around and, and, and give that away to the industry to help grow uh, the overall industry. I've recently heard one that uh, I, I think maybe sums it up better than most uh, comparisons. And you know, we have an environment where uh, developers and finance or, or those that control development and operating assets and, and those that control capital 
um, spent a lot of time talking at and past one another in inefficient ways, in ways that uh, uh, create friction and uh, and lead to operational and marketplace efficiency. So if you have developers speaking Greek and you have uh, financiers uh, using Egyptian hieroglyphics, you, you need something of a Rosetta Stone. And True Solar enters that space with a, a screening approach uh, that we hope uh, uh, those that are selling assets and those that are buying assets uh, will adopt and help uh, the U.S. solar marketplace uh, accelerate its growth. Good. No, we're excited to have you there. And really, I think this is the kind of thing that warrants a, a good deep dive and a project and more interactive session at the uh, at the conference. So we're looking forward to that. Um, Jamie, do you want to give us a quick update on where True Solar is in your progress in 2014? So I know you guys have been around for a while and making progress and getting first a, a great membership together and then getting some work product out. So you want to bring us up to date where we are in April? Absolutely. Thank you for um, involving me. We've been at this for a little while, and I would say the alpha product that Chase referenced was really about understanding the taxonomy of risk. We wanted to make sure we understood all aspects of risk of a commercial solar project. Um, and what we've entered recently is the beta phase, where we're trying to do a few things. So one is apply that taxonomy to real projects to figure out what are the most critical insights that a project developer or a financier needs to know to assess the risk of a project. Um, as Chase mentioned, we're trying to broaden the tent and include as many contributors as we can to get the best understanding and refine our view of risk. And then we're trying to bring our risk methodology to market through an open nonprofit standards body. So, um, And that's one area that Rocky Mountain Institute will be involved in heavily is figuring out how to set up a standards body that is open, accessible, and connects the various industry participants with the elements of risk they need to make decisions. All right. Well, let's now talk about uh, actually preview what's going to happen and what we're going to be uh, what we're going to hear from you guys at the Solar Summit in Phoenix in a couple of weeks. So, Evelyn, you want to just talk about uh, this session itself and what the goal of True Solar is at the the Solar Summit? Sure, absolutely. Thanks. And I, I think the most important thing um, and something that we as a working group um, feels very important is how do we ensure that we're continuing that dialogue with industry? Obviously, the subject about uh, risk mitigation in the development stage and how that relates to the ability for more financing to be available um, for solar projects is one that we talk about in our working group environment and with our colleagues um, quite eagerly, as well as um, in a very robust way. However, what's important is that we continue that conversation with industry at large and that the opportunity for us to um, talk about this topic um, at the conference, I think, is going to bring more attention to it. Um, that's primarily our goal. But to also have that very robust and, and even more intimate discussion. Um, so certainly, you know, one of the key areas that we're going to address um, in the session is how do we set the stage of um, getting input from folks that would be, say, on the buying side and the selling side? Um, how do we talk about the benefits of standards and how standards are going to help us from an industry perspective um, to accelerate that deal flow that we're talking about? You know, the more projects that are 
available to be invested in and that people have a good sense of the, the risks associated with it or even the solid foundation in which those projects are being designed um, only helps the, further the adoption of solar as a whole. And so we want to open that dialogue um, at the conference or continue that dialogue, I should say, um, to engage more people um, in that conversation about um, how we do that. Um, we also have, um, you know, obviously um, a solution as a working group that we've been working on for quite some time that we would like to present to industry, get their feedback, see where we can make adjustments or alignments, uh, incorporating their feedback. And then how do we move um, from a very action-oriented perspective from there so that it's it's not necessarily just another dialogue we have maybe at the next session, but how do we move as an industry and, and commit to actions that we're going to take in order to, to further that? Sounds great. Well, Chase, maybe we could dive into, a, you know, if I'm an attendee of that session, what I would expect to learn and maybe if, think of a few different kinds of attendees, one from you know the financial industry or one from the, uh, uh, the technology and hardware industry and maybe even someone from uh, uh, a ratings agency looking to learn more about solar and how, how they're going to be involved in that process. So uh, if, you know, if I'm attending during that 90 minutes, what, what should I take away from there? Most importantly is just for the audience to get to know who the working group is and, and, and what we've been up to um, as we uh, kind of exit this phase of pretty extraordinary contributions of time and dollar resources behind the scenes and, and, and kind of invite everybody to the party. I think that that is very important to understand what we've done and what we're about to do and how people can get involved. But if I think about the different uh, uh, participants uh, within the audience, if you think about a financier, I, I will tell you that the, that the Goldman's and the Barclays and the J.P. Morgan's of the world probably don't think generally that they need uh, some new diligence practice to be introduced uh, into uh, their uh, underwriting process. But the reality is that the majority of people that knock on uh, the door of finance are either coming in a bespoke fashion uh, or, or uh, dripping in information uh, over a long period of time in a disorganized way that uh, prevents people from being efficient in decision making. So me at Distributed Sun, as both a seller and a buyer of assets, getting together at the event uh, with uh, folks from Hannon Armstrong and from Renewable Energy Trust to talk about our experiences, how we all understand that Solar carries bond-like risk, but currently doesn't pay bond-like prices. That, you know, from our experience in our distributed solar network, in the uh, $6 billion of deal flow we've seen in the past couple of years, we know that as much as 80% of those deals uh, drop out or don't get done. So I think from the financier's perspective, I think we'll be speaking a common language and beginning to explain more clearly how when we all use the same process, uh, we're more efficient. Uh, we reduce transaction costs uh, and we identify fatal flaws sooner. Uh, but that's specific to people that are in the middle of the transaction. And you can imagine that maybe an O&M provider or uh, somebody selling a module uh, or somebody who's not at the transaction phase um, is, is probably not worried about due diligence of financial closing. Uh, but the accreditation body is very interested in um, the overall risk stack of owning an asset. And everybody in the value chain actually touches that risk stack. 
whether it's the materials that go in a module uh, or an inverter manufacturer, the quality of their inverter and the quality of their balance sheet. So the accreditation body ultimately is going to be certifying and scoring uh, everybody throughout the value chain to make the true solar process more efficient. So I think this is going to be very illuminating for folks that often think about true solar uh, in one uh, aspect or another, but it's really all encompassing. Good, good. Evelyn, interesting question for you, just representing UL, and based on what Chase just just said around uh, the different kind of companies that are interested in, in, and involved and could could benefit from this. I'm just curious, from UL's perspective, what brought you to the table, and uh, you know, what keeps you interested in this, and you know, ultimately, like, what is UL's uh, perspective on being a part of True Solar? Well, uh, two things primarily. Um, one is that we are. We are ourselves uh, a company of standardization. Um, we've worked um, for over 120 years, actually, in the product standards uh, world, uh, bringing industry together in order to look at technology and how it innovates over time and its relationship with ensuring uh, safety and performance um, of those products and, and how we use standards in order to uh, level that playing field, but also allow it to continue moving forward into the future with innovation. And so the opportunity to work, um, you know, with this team in solar was very um, naturally important to us because um, of our overall commitment to, to solar um, and, and how we help further the adoption of that globally. Um, so not only from the products perspective, right, and how many more gigawatts can we help um, influence in terms of testing and certifying those products to be installed, but also how do we continue um, working with industry on some of the key issues that would maybe, if resolved, help accelerate um, that adoption um, in a much faster way. Um, so that's certainly the first part. And the second one is the tool that Chase mentioned is of significant interest to us because of the way that it approaches hardware as part of the equation. I think that from a financial um, modeling perspective, a lot of investors and, and bankers um, or owners and operators would, would utilize um, some estimates when it comes to how is that uh, hardware going to perform over time? Or what's the quality um, of that product such that it influences, you know, um, when it might have to be substituted or um, uh, replaced um, after a certain lifetime? And so certainly our work on the product side in terms of safety, performance, uh, quality, um, the work um, from a with the manufacturers provides a little bit more confidence and consistency in what that part of the equation means, um, such that it's less of a variable for the investors to take into account. If we're able to show based upon the type of program the product has been tested and certified to and the ongoing type of maintenance that's done from a quality perspective helps solidify what that eventual financial return is, then we've definitely helped in terms of providing a science base to those variables and no longer just estimates or guesses. All right. It makes a lot of sense. Jamie, maybe you can help us just after the conference, once uh, you get through the, the workshop and our, our conference, what's in store for the, the rest of 2014 for True Solar? 
I would say there's a fair bit in store. I mean, I know as we look as an institute at the solar space, we see commercial solar as having the biggest potential and relative to that potential, the slowest growth rate of any of the solar segments. And so we see this as a really urgent problem. And as a result, I think the working group, which also sees this as an urgent problem, is trying to move quickly. And so in 2014, we're hoping to see refinement um, and release of our of our technical standards. So we'd like to release through the standards body a, a standard approach to analyzing commercial solar risk. Um, we'd also like to see the launch of that standards body and then a transition of ownership of the IP that the working group develops to the standards body so that it can create, it can be a, a sort of neutral and accessible steward of that information and, and get it out to the market. And we'd also like to see real projects getting assessed using our credit screen. And so, you know, we, we would consider success to be projects coming out in 2014 or early 2015 that have, that have been assessed, that have been given a true solar score, and that that score is then easily understandable through the standards body and recognized as an appropriate screening methodology by, by underwriters, by financiers, and anyone else in the industry. Excellent. Chase, any final words? How are you going to know this is successful down the road? Is it the, the number of projects that have uh, used this standard? And how are we going to see this impact on the market? Absolutely, Scott. I mean, I think that's obviously one metric. We've analyzed uh, about 800 projects over the past seven quarters. So we're confident here that we will uh, do that many and many more. And as making this available uh, to everybody, we should anticipate that over the next 12 to 18 months that you know, anywhere between 500 and 1,000 CNI projects will be screened at some level, maybe not the full screen, but certainly will be pre-screened. I think, and, and, and tell me if you disagree, Scott, but I've, I've heard this number that the U.S. solar industry could have as much as a trillion dollars of operating assets by 2030. We, uh, there are some words to that effect on our website today. It's a big number. It is a big number, but it's 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 probably a number that we're not going to achieve without standardization. Right. You can't have uh, an industry professionalized if you're not training folks to standards. And we see today, kind of at a global level in the U.S., that true solar in the near term can reduce other soft costs by as much as seven cents a watt, very very quickly. And and we also believe that. That other soft costs aren't very well understood, that there are direct and indirect and hidden costs that I pay for, that everybody pays for on the deals that get done. They're paying for all the deals everybody worked on that, that did not get done. And, and so this process tries to unlock that. And we anticipate that over the mid to long term that, that true solar uh, can have a direct impact on as much as 18 cents uh, per watt. To put that uh, in context, uh, that would be in the CNI segment alone this year. Uh, uh, if you add in the funnel of projects that are trying to get done that people spend time on, uh, almost $200 million of costs uh, that are going down the drain. Uh, between now and 2018, without actually taking on most uh, third-party research outfits' uh, forecast for growth, that's over $600 million. So there's a big reward here for the marketplace to adopt this. And, and, and I think that as we see the adoption impacting soft costs, impacting the cost of capital, uh, uh, increasing project liquidity, available of, availability of good projects, and seeing the market uh, grow despite its challenges, whether it be a trade dispute with China or the expiration of the ITC, and yet still growing and growing stronger. 
I think we'll know that our work has been successful. But it's important to stress this is a very long term. Uh, 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 we have a very long outlook. We're playing the solar marketplace long. We believe in it from a generational perspective. And uh, we're going to continue to do this work to see it adopt. Good note to end on. And uh, so I'll, I'll thank you all for being a part of this podcast. And I look forward to seeing you in Phoenix, April 14th. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks again to our listeners. Quick reminder, our Solar Summit will be held in Phoenix, April 14th to the 16th. Over 400 attendees, our whole solar analyst and editorial team, and lots of sunshine. We hope to see you there. Learn more about it, just go to greentechmedia.com and check out the event section where we have all the details. Thanks.